Welcome to Nell and Matt's Obsolete Movies, the podcast where we revisit movies from our 20 plus years of collecting films on obsolete formats. You can also think of this podcast as being about films from the VHS era, though not necessarily on VHS. Uh, and our film for this episode is Only the Lonely from 1991, and we have it on Laserdisc. We also have it on VHS, which we needed a backup <laughs> copy. I'm becoming like a Laserdisc player whisperer now. I think that's that's a new side hustle I have. Um, it took a little coaxing, but we did watch it on Laserdisc, and we got it from the exchange in, I think, Monroeville. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Well, you know, the hazards of obsolete formats, our Laserdisc player has been kind of iffy. It's, yeah, I think the lens is still a little dusty. I cleaned I don't want to be too... Yeah. Emphatic with the cleaning of the, the the laser because then if you knock it off track, then it's it's dead. Well, so, I wonder so. if you bring up the VHS copy, if the laser disc disc was like, oh man, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm on the bubble here. I better bubble. I better read this disc. <laughs> they brought up the format that's uh, worse than me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah. So only the lonely 1991 one of a John Candy film. I think it's sort of maybe a lost John Candy film. Yeah. But I think a film that we have enjoyed in the past. So yeah. Um, this was also Christopher Columbus's film and Macaulay Culkin's film after Home Alone. Yeah. And Macaulay Culkin has a, a cameo appearance in that. And so does his uh, brother Kieran. Kieran, yeah, yeah. And yet, this movie kind of a lukewarm reception at the time, and yeah. kind of. I didn't realize it also came out in the end at the end of May of '91, so oh, it was maybe expected to be like a big summer movie. Yeah, it's not a summer movie. No, no. no. And it's the Home Alone guy. So are we all gonna watch the Home Alone Long guys guy, in their yeah. movie? And not many people did. And they had six, you know. So he also did Uncle Buck with. Um, they also did Uncle Buck together, right? Yes, with John a, Candy and was, Macaulay Culkin, yeah. Which was a successful film, so I think there yeah. was like, oh, this pairing has got to... It's magic! It's magic, it's got to work. It's Jim um, Belushi, it's Chicago, it's it's what else, what can go wrong? John Hughes, the producer. Right, which oddly, um, John Hughes has only ever just straight produced two films in his career, yeah. and this was one of them, yeah. uh, so he really wasn't... Which is odd, sorry. Yeah, which is odd, yeah. Well, I mean, the film is kind of an odd duck, but for the people who haven't seen it, which is probably a lot of people, um, I guess we should do the plot standard brief plot summary. Yeah. Uh, John Candy plays a Chicago cop, 38 years old, still lives with his overbearing Irish Catholic mother, and... Yet the film is also this weird sort of fairy tale of Chicago. Like yeah. it is this idyllic, you know, com- sense of community. And because John Candy's a cop, anything is possible. You know, yeah. you can stop trains and summon hook and ladder trucks and, and get into old Comiskey Park before it got torn down and all, and all of that stuff. And so it's this sort of fantastical fairy tale-ish romantic comedy that also invokes sort of mid-century America, sort of greatest edu- greatest generation racism <laughs> as, 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 a, as a trope or as a foil yeah, yeah. for this budding romance. John Candy the Cop with uh, Ali Sheedy playing, you know, the daughter of the funeral home owner who does the makeup on the corpses. Yes. 
Yeah, I think I think part of the reason why it wasn't well received is that it's a middle aged couple finding love later in life. Yes, uh, and I don't think people were really where like with Moonstruck, you had these like over the top characters, and, and those characters are Cher and Nicolas Cage. Yeah, um, and that worked. I mean, Cher was definitely older than Nick Cage in that film, and the romance, you know, is the age difference. But I think it was just maybe hard for people to. It is, and it's yeah. hard to think of. I mean, I'll say it. I mean, John Candy is a romantic lead. Yeah, though he's charming in this. He's role. incredibly charming yeah. in the in the role. Um, he has sex in this movie. Like, yeah. is this the one movie that John Candy played where John Candy had sex? Yeah. You know, um, which I think is also sometimes you get into the Hollywood system and you think about people and personas, mm-hmm. and actors just always play the same role or. And the public only can conceive of them in a certain way. Right. And, you know, and John Candy next year will have been gone for 30 years. Wow. That doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem possible that he was only 42 when he passed away. So actually I had to look. 43 when he passed away. And he's 38. This character is 38 in the film. And I actually was like. Wow, he must have been much older than that, and they were—he was playing younger. And actually, for most of John Candy's career, he played older. Yeah. When he played the police officer, sergeant, detective, whatever, in yeah. Blues Brothers, he was in his like early twenties yeah. or so, or mid twenties, and he was playing a much older, and he often played much older characters. And so, I think that's part of the weird. You also have, do have this sort of clunky plot. Mm-hmm. Where it is a romantic comedy, there is the misunderstanding, and you do... I mean, it has that classic romantic comedy or romance plot line where, you know, people meet each other, they fall in love, there's a misunderstanding in, like, the late second act, and you think it's not going to work out, and then, you know, it's fine. Yeah, I think, you know, actually, as we were watching, I was thinking about that. The reason why there's the misunderstanding or they actually both don't show up for the wedding is yes. because she's frustrated with him and his obsession with his mom. Like, he he has, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid around Catholic guilt. Yes, and feels yes the need, we have to talk about that. Uh, feels the need to frequently check in on his mom and his world revolves around his mom. And oddly, it's like a very adult issue right where most romantic comedies it's like um i saw lipstick on your collar you must have been with somebody else kind of thing where this is like a a really adult argument right like yeah about you know talking about boundaries and priorities and relationships so i think i think that also is why it didn't work because the reason why their relationship fell apart was for very legitimate reason yeah and not necessarily misunderstanding like it's very clear why she's upset with him and why she doesn't want to be with him and it's a very adult conversation and it is really like oh can a relationship survive this situation yeah is she going to spend 20 30 years with him and every wednesday he still goes to bingo and with his mom and you know has breakfast with her every day and takes mom wherever she needs to go all the time it was very legitimate concern on her yeah. part. Is this what the next 20, 30 years of my life looks yeah. like? 
So I think I think with your you're right. I hadn't thought about this. So it does have those tropes of the romantic comedy. So there's the big first date. Yeah, I mean the plot line. Yeah. The big you're right. The big first date was just totally charming, which is old Comiskey Park. Yeah. You know, and then he, he has the keys to the kingdom, and they can have a picnic. Yeah, and when he goes, uh, they have uh, an argument at the. They got to dinner with his mom. An argument ensues. She leaves in a huff, and he gets a the fire department, I believe, or yes. whatever, to uh, to lift him up to the second floor so he can knock on her window and propose. So those are those like tropes that you see in romantic comedies, yes, these grand gestures. But no one wants to think about. Oh my gosh, what if I'm 38 and haven't met a person yet? And then I meet that person and I screw it up. Yes. I think it was too real in some ways. And you know, I think you're right. It's too real for for the for the for that reason. I want to talk about that. I also do want to loop back to yeah. I think for us being middle-aged, having middle-aged friends our age and the the specter of elderly parents. Yes. You know, I have friends thinking about, like, where do they want to live because they have elderly parents yeah. and you have to perhaps sometimes suspend or we we know of people who've kind of abandoned their own lives because they have to take on this caretaker role. And yeah, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. I, and I think the other thing is right. What if you are 38 And you haven't found the right person and you mess it up. And also, it's a romantic comedy then about people who aren't good at being, at dating or at heterosexuality or aren't good at yeah or at those skills, which is, I think, fascinating. The There's this, like, little encapsulation of that theme. Mm -hmm. The Macaulay Culkin cameo actually yeah he's a boy who's not good at football right he's a boy who's in that sense not good at being a boy yeah and so there is that question of like if you are someone and you're not good at being attractive or you're not good at being charming or you're not good at asking someone out and john candy's character kind of isn't right he's always i mean he he goes into asking you know ali sheedy's character the first time you know, anticipating the rejection. Well, right. let me let me guess. Let me guess why you can't do this. Yeah. You know, um, and then their first date watch is very grandiose. They're on the infield of, or the out just on the outfield of Comiskey Park. The old one, the charming old one uh, that no longer exists. She's really awkward. Yeah. He's really awkward. Yeah. They're very bad at conversation. Um. You know, there's scenes where it's like even he like trying to like look nice and dress himself up is, you know, awkward. Oh, that suit's too expensive, but he's gonna buy it anyway. Kind of things. Yeah. And yeah, does it also speak to people's deep insecurities? Right. I mean, we have to say he's he's obese, right? Yeah. And so I think there's also, and you and I are both overweight, right? Yes. So is there? Are people who are overweight allowed to have romance, right? Yeah. That's a part of, like, our thought process. I mean, I yeah. think it's changed over time. But definitely in the 90s, like, oh, you're like, oh, he's he's fat. He should have been the, the best friend. He should yes. have been the cop buddy who was joking around with everybody. And then she's socially awkward. She, she has grown up. In a funeral home, she doesn't have a ton of interaction with people. She mm. doesn't make up for corpses. 
And Teresa, the Ali Sheedy character, is just super socially awkward. She's shy. She's reserved. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is another thing. I, again, it's that it's romantic comedies and just romance as a genre in general about escapism. Yeah. It's about, you know, you're going to find the perfect person. And yes, there, there might be some bumps on the way, but it's very clear you're going to live live happily ever after. Right. Which I think in this film, you know, they risk, they're both at the end sort of risking everything to be together. Right. Which I think is also this really beautiful gesture, but, oh, you know, there's not yeah. a guarantee everything's going to work out. It's also, when they get on that train. It's also fascinating because he doesn't, like, he does finally make a choice to step away from his mom. Like, he does yes. finally make that choice. But she actually grows more as a person, right? So, like, when you when you first meet her, yeah. she's timid. So there's also, like, a lot of romantic comedies. The female has really great banter and is witty, witty and things like that. And she's not yeah but she grows a backbone over the course of the movie because his mom is so horrific she finally starts standing up for herself and becomes like a stronger person and starts making choices that you know she actually realizes like she's worth something and should be treated appropriately right yes. and so she she stand begins to stand up for herself and make choices that are good for her yeah um, and so she grows as a person so I think that was also probably hard as well because it's the John Candy character should have dramatically changed over time. And I wouldn't necessarily yeah. say he dramatically changed. She's still like the no. lovable guy. It's just he figured out he needs to walk away from his mom. And he needs, yeah, to embrace adult which I mean, you know, is also, let's face it, is the Catholic thing, you know. But we both grew up Catholic, so we can talk about this. I'm Irish Catholic, and I grew up Irish, Irish Catholic, Catholic, which yeah. is a big trope in the film. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about Maureen O'Hara's character here in a moment. Uh, that you know, if you if you're not married, you stay at home. Right. You know, I I had uh, two aunts who one of which moved out, got her own place in her fifties. Yeah. They both never married, and, you know, one, the other one then just sort of outlasted and, and kept the house. Yeah. You know, uh, and certainly, I mean, we even have sort of friends who are, who are like that, you know, yeah. and your siblings stayed home for a long time. Yeah. You, you know, and so that's, yeah, that's a real thing that happens. And both, I mean, both my sisters lived at home until they were married. Yeah. Uh, my brother and I were the the bad the bad eggs and the bad eggs yeah, who, who moved out in their early twenties yeah uh, which is yeah I mean and, and so it's also to think about those those folks who again you know maybe grew up in a belief system or in a culture or had parents and also maybe weren't weren't good at that aspect of like young adulthood separation from parents, you know, yeah. the good kids who maybe also kind of miss out or whatever. Yeah. Which is, there are people like that. We know people like that. Yeah. I mean, and, absolutely. And they get a movie. Yeah. With this movie, they get a movie. And I think for oftentimes, I have never, 45 episodes into this podcast, I never, never mentioned Barry Paris. The Post Gazette, Pittsburgh Post Gazette movie critic, 
who I, I used to read his reviews and hate read his reviews and often see we would see movies based on his bad reviews <laughs> because he was truly an anxiety of influence kind of critic where either something was the two ways that he did not like a movie. It was either too much like something he's already seen or what he really hated was something that was not exactly like something he had already seen. <laughs> he would always mention, well, you know, when Frank Capra did this trope, yeah. Or this this kind of movie. This is how it ended, and this it's made a left turn in the last act, and it ended differently, and I didn't like that. And so, <laughs> but a lot, I think a lot of film audience is like that, especially yeah. in the early nineties. Well, that know. if it's not the same thing, and I find that today with my students who are used to either superhero movies or true crime. Yeah, or Lifetime movies, Lifetime. Not even. Oh, really? Not even. I mean, if you see, if you show them an adult drama, they think there's a supernatural element, Mm. or they think, well, he did it, or how is it possible? I guess, you know, like, just, oh, you know, like, I think at one point, like, I showed my students Eternal Sunshine in one class. It was like, oh, well, he must have murdered her and it was just his fantasy or something. Like, mm. you know what I mean? Because it's like, that's what happens in a movie. Yeah. And we're watching this other thing that's a different kind of movie <laughs> and I don't know what to do. And I think audiences can be like this. And I think this is a film that pushes several of those buttons. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, th- I think we should talk about the, his mom. Who's a yes, we very, must talk about Maureen O'Hara's she's character. She's also a very unlikable character. Yeah. She's very racist. Um, and she uses Catholic guilt like a weapon. Uh, yes, which, just, I mean, we've both seen. Yes. In real life. Yes. Uh, and so, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean you know, um, we've, we've both have family situations where like you can argue there's figures who are like the Wayne Gretzky of Catholic like, you know <laughs> I always say this you know when Gretzky first got on the Rangers they weren't scoring and nobody's like how why you know how could you not score you got Gretzky on that line and the players were like yeah he can make passes no human can make and we would just never be used to getting the puck at places where well we could score and they had to get used to that and I always there's we have relatives who um, can can put Catholic guilt in, you know, <laughs> in his spot. If the Catholic guilt puck is two inches round in circumference and the and the gap is two and a half inches, they can just slide it right through, <laughs> you know, and and make that pass. Um, and so, yeah, she's a deeply unlike. And so, you have a main character that's mom and you know the the tagline on the box both boxes a comedy for anyone who's ever had a mother is also i wonder about is that too real for people yeah that unpacking that super complicated relationship that you have with another human being yeah that can sometimes be deeply unhealthy oh yeah and hold you back and hold you back and you know you can have yeah you know, a relationship that never evolves, never... I mean, I'm always honestly, like, sort of weirded out when I we have friends who are, like, friends and contemporaries with their parents. Yeah. Like, how the hell does that work? No, <laughs> oh, you want to hang... Oh, you're going to... Oh, you're going to go and be friends and do friend stuff with your dad. 
because you're you're a 40 42 year old who can do that that's weird yeah <laughs> you know what i mean to us and yeah. so I, I i think is maybe how we relate to that movie but yeah she's deeply 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 unlikable yeah and says things to the point where the priest says you got to rec- realize that it's the 90s yeah the 1990s and when a priest tells you to get with it you know you're i in mean trouble. that that joke yeah and she takes him to the priest because he's Irish Catholic and he's dating a woman who's half Polish and half Sicilian. Yes, um, which is, I think, for younger people, like, can you, you know, acknowledging that there was a time when you could be the wrong kind of white. Which is so crazy, isn't it? Like, you're the wrong kind of white. Which in 1991, you could be the wrong kind of white yeah. in this country. And honestly, with my parents, my mom was Irish Catholic. My dad was Irish Presbyterian. And that was dramatically like yeah, a huge Catholics drama. and Protestants that's going like oh like you can't no that's a big thing yeah I mean that 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 also like the thought of that is our recent past and yeah. you can kind of forget about it because I was even saying to you like it's amazing you can see a Campbell's soup commercial and there's a mixed race family or yeah. a gay couple with their child like it's amazing right like yeah. we would have never we never saw I mean, that if we grew up with that no i mean it was all heteronormative all mostly white mostly white i mean vast majority white i mean representation matters and then and then for people who um you know like unfortunately aids forced a lot of people deep into the closet as well so you also weren't getting positive representations of people at that time just in general right yeah and so i think the um that in the 90s like i remember seeing and laughing about it because both of my sisters married not the white right not Not the the white white kind of right Kind what, of white. Like, Sorry, I got tongue. And there was tension when we got together with my parents because yes. you were you were a wrong kind of white. I yes, I'm I, I'm, I'm Irish, so there was there was some drama. Yeah, I no. might be a drunkard. Yes, um, is clearly you had a drinking problem. <laughs> um, which is yeah, it is very hard. I mean, which I think is the thing now is like you know if we want to transition into we should you know, not that we haven't been talking about seeing the movie again in the 2020s, but. Marino characters, Marino Harris character, which it was her last film role, the mom. She would be a Trump voter. She would. She would she be would. a Trump voter. And in fact, the people, some of the people we're talking about, as being, you know, the Wayne Gretzky's of Catholic guilt, are Trump voters. Have yeah. been Trump voters, yeah. and that's a very different. And like the Marino Harris character, in a way, it's the Archie Bunker thing again. Yeah. Where you portray a character that sees the world in that way. And on one hand, I mean, it's the same controversy. And I I do like how Carol O'Connor said about Archie. On one hand, yeah, you can say, oh, he's not such a bad guy. Or he represents us. Or he's saying what we're thinking. And what Carol O'Connor always said about that character is you have to realize I'm playing someone who because of his biases because of his inability to see the humanity in other people lost out so much on life. Mm. And I think the thing is, though, not everybody gets that. Right. I think the Maureen O'Hara character, you know, she's also, there's this elderly woman who's being pursued by someone who's a wrong kind of European. Yeah. The Greek neighbor. um, Who... 
again, misses out on a possibility of love and romance and, you know, and as much as the Chicago of this movie is this idyllic urban community where everybody knows everybody and says hi in the morning. Yeah. She's obviously not going to be connected to everybody in that community. Right. And while that's in the film, it, again, it's it's weird. It's, I don't know, there's still a weird dynamic when you have that, a character whose major character trait is that they're racist. And homophobic. And homophobic. Yeah. Um, and if you can think your way into thinking about how those characters lose their humanity. Yeah. Great, but you could also maybe potentially miss that message. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know, it even comes up that um, years before she caused her dead, now dead husband. To oh, because she was anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic. She, he lost out on a business deal. Big Huge deal. She uh, didn't realize the people they were talking to were Jewish and she made a anti-Semitic Comment. Just telling it like it is. Just which him. was the thing that Trump voters loved about Trump. Right. Right. And so, like, she has alienated people throughout her life by telling it like it is and has lost out on all these opportunities and has lost out on a positive relationship with her son. Now, there's, like, hope at the end. And I would think both her sons. Both I mean, her the sons. one son who's the successful one. Yeah. Which also, I think, is... That's another thing about the John Candy character. Yeah. And we know friends that this has happened to, too. Where, you know, the family decides this is the kid with potential. Yeah. This is the kid that will go to college and get schooling. You need yeah. to go to work. Right. No, absolutely. Which is weird to think in, you know, our own American fantasy. Like, everybody's got a shot at the American dream. Right. But, you know, sometimes... Um, you know, sometimes parents can be like the, the, the varsity coach, you know, you make the team, you don't. Right. And so he becomes a cop to support his brother to go to law school. And Um, he becomes the wagon driver cop. He's not even like a detective. He doesn't do anything sexy. He drives the wagon. He does body recovery. There's a great joke. And that's the other thing. There are some jokes in this film that almost don't fit in the film. Like, right. Yeah, I teach, I'm teaching poetry this semester, and it's like there's this idea of, like, everything... A poem should have a singularity and a unity. Yeah. There's a couple jokes and a couple scenes in this film that fly off that don't fit the mood of the rest of the film. And there's a great sound effect joke involving a, a corpse that they kind of drop. <laughs> you know. As they're doing body recovery. Yeah. Um, there's a splat. You know that... Sorry, bringing up the... There, there's a splat and it's funny. Um, bringing up the brother, though, like, everyone is... Except for Danny, John, John Candy. Uh, well, up to a point. He's content. But, he, you know, his his brother is content to have him just stay there and live with his mom and take care of mom. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where he decides... The, the, old, the younger brother decides that Danny and mom are moving to Florida. Yeah. And they're Danny's, moving together. And he already talked to the commissioner to get Danny a, uh, a transfer and that they're moving together. And that kind of like, that really, that kind of, I think that was also hard for people that you might have people in your life who are selfish enough yeah. to make choices for you and force you into a corner 
and yeah. are happy for you to be in that corner. Yeah. And that's really a lot of that film when you think about it. Yeah. You know, and so which he... Isn't, which isn't classic rom-com material. At all. And he, he takes it up until he's 38 years old. Yeah. And that's... The death of a bachelor friend is what causes... Him to realize... Which is also, I mean, you know, it's the Edward Said thing about uh, why Jane Austen's popular. You know, th- those books are all about class and prestige and status. And yeah. you don't mention the other side of it. You don't mention, like, well, what would happen to those sisters if Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy don't end up together? Yeah. The, the options for all those girls is not good. Right. Because they can't. <laughs> right inherit property and so they're going to be out on the streets maybe yeah um but that doesn't really come up there's a tension there and so the fact that yeah maybe the thing that drives him over the edge to finally live his life instead of for himself is the realization that he could die alone yeah and he doesn't want to die alone die alone and that could be a worry for people and that maybe is a worry for people as they as they search for someone or we also let's face it know people who out of loneliness have gotten into some really bad relationships yeah um yeah that's a hard one to swallow in a rom-com it is it is yep and so you think about it in some ways it should have been a dark comedy um, yeah, maybe this should have been more death jokes. Yeah. Less racist mom, more death jokes. Yeah. But I guess we should get to the <laughs> to the questions. Yeah, it is about time, isn't it? All right, so the four big questions. And man, I, I actually, I thought when we started talking, I knew the answer to question one, and now I might have to think out loud. But question one, is it camp, retro, classic, or just an old movie? I feel like it's a, it's like... This is going to be so sound. I feel like it's like so close to have been a classic. Like it's just like kind of right there on the cusp of being uh, a classic and just didn't get it right. Like the village. Like the village, if he had just made a couple. Yeah, if he didn't do the reveal in the middle of the film. Yeah, I feel like there, I feel like there was like so much potential there. So for right now, I'll just say it's an old film, but I feel like it, it, it could have had that potential to be a classic. Yeah, I, you know, the more we're talking about it, I was going to say that it was a lost classic and there mm-hmm. was a timeless quality to it. But our conversation has been very much about how the film was very timely to its time. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the idea of a film, a romantic film or a film about people finding love who maybe, yeah, aren't sexy. Yeah. Oh, aren't good at playing that game, but yet can still find each other and be happy. Yeah. You know, and it's not just fantasy, but like the sort of reality of men and women or, and whoever, or men and men or whatever. Yeah. Women and women coming together. But yeah, there's there are these elements, and, and there is this idyllic... Fa- I mean, we last podcast, last episode... You know, I, I, I left thinking about how, yeah, you know, the small town is the thing, you know, with Groundhog Day. And that you can't find community in a city. You have to find it in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, yeah. where there's fewer people. But in a way that, that you have this fantasy of like an idyllic urban life. Yeah. 
I think is really also kind of nice. Yeah. And is also maybe a bit of a curveball people weren't ready for. Yeah. But yeah, these problematic elements of the film, the way this film is dated that I think younger people, if it's classic, younger people would still be able to, I think, get it. Yeah. But, you know, I've brought up in classes, you know, uh, older texts and this idea of people being the wrong kind of white and student, my students are like, What? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, they understand. It's not like they don't understand racism and they don't understand microaggression and they don't understand yeah. uh, intersectionality. But, yeah, being the wrong part of white. So, <sighs> I guess it's just an old movie. Yeah. It hurts me to say that. I, I, I kind of did hold a torch for this film. Yeah. There is a charmingness to it. Yeah. But... Maybe which leads us to question two about this. What about the social political distance of the film? We've already talked about this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, mom is, yeah, mom's an open, racist, anti-Semite, homophobic. Like, she is all of the above. And some of the things that But he still loves her. He still loves her. Which is a message. And some of the stuff she says is downright gross, right? Like, she says some really gross stuff. And I think the other thing is, like, throughout the film, she does those things, and it's almost, it almost works because she is the butt of the joke. Yeah. And then, oh, the last scene of the film, there is a joke about a plane hijacking. Yeah. That both pre-9-11 and then post the endless, never-ending war on terror. Yeah. I mean, is also, to use a bad football metaphor, fumbling the ball at the one. Yeah. I mean, that 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 scene, and the land on that scene, and you have then, they and then they lived happily ever after. Because also, I should mention, so part of John Candy's yeah. neurosis is he always imagines his mom getting hurt or maimed or killed or, or whatever because he's not there to protect her. Yeah. And so he's not on the plane with her and there's hijackers and... You know, and he so he has these neurotic fantasies about his mom. Yeah, so there's one example where he wants to go see a ball game with his friend, and it's bingo night Wednesday, at the church. Wednesday, which is every so big, Catholic. Bingo night, and he's like, "Can we just skip?" And she's like, "We can't skip. I'll go by my by myself." And he has this fantasy of her walking and falling through a manhole and and dying. And of course, in the sewers, yeah. it pans down to her and she says, I hope you enjoyed your ball game, Danny. Or was it worth it, Danny? And that, like, it's a a great tool for just showing the extent of how... Catholic guilt, how that guilt has yes. so taken over his mind. Yes. But you're right, that last one is really, really... It's a really bad... Yeah. 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 I, and so that that is hard, right? So it's hard to kind of... I mean, I could almost actually, honestly, if that film... I, is that the scene? Yeah. That the one scene that keeps me from saying that film's a classic? Yeah. Because you could do the Archie Bunker thing and do that. And, and also realize, like, you know... Again, you're if you, you know those characters. We again know people like that. Yeah, we are related to people like that. Yeah, and so it's like okay, you can accurately in some ways represent that character, but oh, that scene at the end where suddenly other people are the butt of the racist joke, right. not the racist. So yeah, oh. yeah. yeah, 
yeah. fumbles it to one. Also, the the thing about it is that she has spent her whole life hurting people and saying these things that hurt. And at the end, she makes like a 180 and is suddenly like, Danny, go live your life and marry that girl. Yeah. Which, ah. I mean, in a way, you like that everybody, like, everybody in that way is a protagonist and has to make a choice. But yeah, that's just way too easy. Yeah. I mean, is that part of the fantasy? I mean, I wish, you know, those people in our families would become human. Yeah. In their, in their in their 80s. And, yeah. um. Nope, not yet. No. I don't think it's ever going to happen. Yeah. Which is, that would that have been too real. <laughs> right, exactly. If that would have been too realistic. It's like, no, he just says, fuck it, and goes to New York City with his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, and they put it back together, and she's just, you know, left to live her life, and which is kind of what happens. Yeah. Uh, number three, the technical distance. Yeah, I mean, there's no cell phones. But, yeah, so pay phones are a huge part of this film. Yes. Pay phones are huge. He's yeah. always looking. John Candy is always looking for a pay phone to call his mother. Yeah, if it was remade today, he would have his cell phone on Yeah, all I mean, the there would just be texts. calling mom. her if she's, yeah. if she's like my mom and won't text. Um, yeah, and there's no real practical effects. Again, there's one right. great sound effect. And because he's like a paddy wagon driver, like there's no like racial things that come up, which yeah, feels weird. I, <laughs> like, well, and I think actually now let's also yeah the fact that you know cops are magic. Yeah. In this film, which yeah. uh, again at this point in history is kind of hard. Yeah. Also, I should have mentioned I should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah, he's a magic cop. Every time he can, you know, arrange says, Well, sometimes it's good to be a cop. Yeah. And I can do things and he's like just and he breaks all the rules, but it's okay. Right. Which, you know, again, is hard to fathom or accept nowadays. Um so question four, will we ever watch it again? Probably. It's probably not going to be for me like um, Groundhog Day where it's like every year I'm yeah. happy to rewatch that film. I'll probably in a few years revisit again because there, there are aspects to it that do speak to me. And I think it's partially growing up Irish Catholic and growing up overweight. Um, I yeah. would have watched this in, gosh, middle, middle school? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I would have watched it in middle school. Well, and 91 he, high school. I was in high school in 91. Oh, You're older than me, so... Oh, yeah. High school. I apologize. High school. And so the thought of, like, being a chubby high schooler and not being asked out on dates and, like, what if you never get out, asked out on a date and you mm -hmm. end up being 38 and an old maid? You know, that, that kind of thing. So I think that seeing someone who is overweight be the romantic lead was, like, oh, that's kind of cool... That, yeah. you know, John Candy, looking the way he, he looks, should not have been a romantic lead, but he mm -hmm. was made a romantic lead. And as I said, he's charming in this role. Like, he, mm -hmm. you do end up really liking him as a person. And he's very, very charming. But it's just, I think it'll be, it's probably been 10, 15 years since I've watched this movie. Same. And it'll probably be another 10, 15 years before I watch it again. Yeah. Um, but I could see at some point in time watching that, that well. film. We have it on Laserdisc and VHS. Yes. So yes. One of those two will work in ten or fifteen years, I think. Yeah. Probably VHS. Where I think the funny thing for me is like Moonstruck 
keeps growing in my heart as a film. Like, mm. every time I revisit Moonstruck, I'm like, oh, I like that film. There's, like, you know, there's still something that I find so appealing to Moonstruck. Where this, I felt like, oh, like, I adored this movie in high school. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. But kind of, you know, rewatching it again, I'm like, ooh, like, ooh, there's kind of some stuff in here that I don't feel fully comfortable with. Yeah. How about you? What is what is your thought? I, I, same. I, I think we will watch it again. I also, I, I like the idea of the film yeah. better than the execution of the film. Oh, that's a great way to put it, yeah. You know, I think there's that, there is the uncomfortable stuff. I think it still is a very clunky plot. I think the plot can also be very convenient. I mean, they go from zero to, it seems like, a couple of dates, so they're engaged, to they decide not to get married, and then there's forgiveness or whatever, yeah. again, very quickly. Yeah, that's true. Um, which, and the mom changes suddenly after, you know, decades of being horrible. And again, is he still loves her, and he's still, oh, it's okay, you know, which... In the era, in the post-Trump era, or maybe pre-post-pre, between the Trumps? I don't know what's what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, it, it is kind of hard to forgive that Maureen O'Hara character. Yeah. In, in a way. that. So, yeah. I think that's about it. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.